Hello, and welcome to In the Days of Noor, with me, Noor, where we talk about Islamic-related topics and social issues. Today, I want to talk about whether or not the role of the mother is important or distinct. Now, first, I want to say that I could very well do this topic on whether the father's role is important or distinct, because the question is really, are the roles of motherhood and fatherhood distinct, but we're going to focus on women in this podcast and maybe in a future podcast, we will focus on men. So you may think, well, why is this even an important thing to think about? Maybe you're on the side that yes, obviously mothers are distinctly important for their children, or maybe you're obviously on the side or you think it's obvious that no, It doesn't matter as long as the children has loving parents in their lives, then that's all that matters. Of course, the mother is not, does not play a distinct role. So those who have the opinion, the for the latter opinion, that opinion would have been in the minority only a few decades ago in this country. But in our time, it may be half of the population feels that way. You never truly really know how the population feels, but based on our popular culture, based on our law, then we can assume that there's a very large portion of the population, the Western American population, who believe that motherhood is not distinctly important. And the one of the main reasons this came about was during the movement for gay marriage. Because one of the arguments of opponents was that, well, it was not only gay marriage, but the ability for gay people to adopt children. And one of the arguments of the opponent was that children need mothers and fathers in their lives. And obviously, the argument of the homosexual couples was that no, children don't need to a mother and a father in their life, their biological mother and father in their life. What they rather need is simply two adults who are responsible, who love them, who are stable. Now, what's fascinating to me, what was always fascinating about that argument, one, is just why was there such a rush, a push for gay marriage because of the fact that we're dealing with something that we don't know enough about when it comes to raising children. We don't know what the effects will be. So why was there such a rush to put children in a situation where we don't know what the outcome is going to be? That's firstly. And secondly is how did they come up with the number two? It's a very arbitrary number because what is it based on? Now, when it comes to heterosexual couples and saying a child needs a mom and dad, well, it's obviously based on just the biological fact that the child literally needed a mom and dad to come into being and that those two people should stay together to take care of them. And so I was reading this book called, I am reading this book called Unfinished Business by Anne-Marie Slaughter. And she has an excellent essay in The Atlantic written a couple of years ago now called Why Women Still Can't Have It All. I highly suggest that you take a read. It's an excellent, excellent essay. So while I'm reading the book, 
then she starts talking about the fact that it's very difficult for women as well as for men to a degree to try and have it all. And it all usually captures simply the work-life balance, that it's very hard for women to achieve their successful career goals and still have a stable, happy family, as well as it being difficult for men. But something she pointed out earlier in this book that I thought was so... It was just such an important point that we don't hear enough, that it's just not talked about enough. Is that in the past when men were out working, and I shouldn't even say in the past, in many situations today and in the past, when a man is working full-time and the wife is a full-time stay, stay-at-home mom, she is a she is a stay-at-home mom. Well, I kind of messed that up a bit. When the husband is working full-time, and the wife is not working and they have children, then she is a stay-at-home mom. She's dedicating her time to motherhood. And when women decided to go into the workforce, then they did not have someone who was staying at home now being a full-time parent to their children. So what happened is that instead of there being one parent working and the other one supporting that working and supporting the household and the family by staying home and taking care of the children full-time and being responsible for the house and for the cooking and cleaning and all of that, then it just became two people working. No one's completely responsible for the children 24-7. No one is completely responsible for cooking or cleaning 24-7. It becomes a shared responsibility, but women still get the brunt of the work, which is how we get, of course, the second shift epidemic. And so it's fascinating because it's such an obvious point, but I don't think it's something that we're told enough to consider as women that, yes, men at one point, they they had it all in our, the way some women viewed it, men had it all. They were able to work have their family, have that work-life balance. But for women, we're not going to achieve the same thing because most men don't want to stay home. And if we're honest, most of us as women don't want our men to stay home. So we don't get the same thing that men got. Men got to work and know that their home and their children and their food, (laughs) everything was going to be completely taken care of. Whereas for women, we don't have that. Even if the man is taking up some of that responsibility, it's not the same. When men were going out to work and women were at at home, it was kind of the perfect scenario. It was the perfect balance. But now that both men and women are working, that balance is thrown off and women aren't really allowed to ask themselves if that's what they want. And I'm certainly not trying to make it seem like it's so horrible for men men and women to work. People do it every day. And I think especially if you're a woman who enjoys what you do, who likes your job, or maybe you're even a woman who like, likes your job, but also you're not the, the type of woman who wants to parent and be hands-on 24-7. Maybe you're not a particularly good cook or whatever the case may be 
so it's not to say that the role of housework housewife and stay-at-home mom is going to be more suitable or beneficial for most women but it's to say that as women we should be honest about the older generation should be honest about passing on to the younger generations the honest sacrifice that they had to make in order to be working in order for the family to have more money yes there's more food on the table but who's cooking it we have a bigger house but who's making it beautiful you know the kids are all set but who is taking care of them 24 7 things have shifted and we've lost things so women haven't actually gotten closer to having it all we've just sacrificed in other areas whereas before we were sacrificing our careers now we're sacrificing motherhood and wifehood and maybe that's a sacrifice that many of us are fine with but we should come into it fully with open eyes and be able to appreciate both and make sound judgments based on what we want from our life and not a kind of invisible pressure that we feel to go out into the workforce and I know just I want to end on that part and move on to another subject within the subject but just because I know that some people are going to think well that's easier said than done or everybody needs to work two jobs these not two jobs every household needs a man and a woman working these days I completely 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 cannot disagree with that enough I really can't because first and foremost I was listening to a podcast called The Minimalist And he was talking about people always ask them, well, is minimalism really just for, you know, a bunch of young white guys? Like, it's not really for poorer people. And he said that poorer people can benefit from minimalism the most. And it's interesting because it's such an obvious point. Like, isn't it obvious that if you have a, that if you have a little bit of money and you have a minimalist mindset, you could probably live a better, fuller, richer life than being poor but still being obsessed with material gains so it's such an obvious point but somehow we we just miss it so every american household we may feel like well things are more expensive these days etc etc but the reality is that how many households have television how many households have uh monthly bills for cell phones how many households have I don't know. There's there's all kinds of things that how many households have extra furniture they don't need? How many households have fridges that are packed with food that could last a month and probably half of it will be thrown away before it's ever eaten? How many cabinets are filled with canned food and pasta that you're not going to use for another two months? So the honest truth is that we buy more than we need. And most households, I honestly, I want to say every single household can survive off of one income if you set your priorities. Now, obviously, if you're making $20,000, well, yeah, it would be pretty tough to live off that income. But again, if we live within our means, because let's be honest, for example, for most of my life, both of my parents have worked. There was a period of time where my dad was not working and we survived, (laughs) like we were fine. So in a sense, it's like, yeah, I'm sure they were better off financially when they were both working. But when my dad wasn't working, 
the only thing that happened was that I didn't get allowance regularly as a, I was a kid then. Well, yeah, I was a younger, let's see, I was probably like a young teenager or something like that. So the only monetary difference I could realize is that I no longer got allowance regularly from my dad. But we still had food on the table. Obviously, the rent was still paid. Obviously, the, the um, what is this, the air conditioner was still paid. You know, obviously, we still got clothes. We were still fed. So everything was fine. And I hope in most households around America, if one spouse lost their job, things would be tougher. But you would probably survive. Maybe you'd get less food. Maybe the kids, you can't take them out as much. Maybe you can't go to restaurants as much. But you would probably survive because as Americans, our norm is excess. Like, that's our norm. Having 20 shirts and 5 pairs of pants and 10 pairs of shoes and, you know, 100 books. Like, that's a norm for us. It's a norm. Excess is a norm. So when we are forced to look at our budget and live within our means, we can do it. It'll make us feel a little uncomfortable as Americans, but we can do it. So I really, I don't want anyone listening to have this idea that, oh, well, we can't go back to those old times because things are just too expensive now. It isn't true. Calculate the things that you actually need and how much they cost and see if you couldn't live on twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars. See if you couldn't live off of one person's income if you really made an effort. So I just wanna say that. I don't think it's just that times have changed. Yeah, maybe it is a bit harder. There's no doubt that it's harder to live off of one income because in the past, I mean, there was a time when I think it was the GI Bill or something like that when many, many men came back from World War II, I think it was, and they were given houses, you know? And so they had a house, they had their factory job, they were set for life. There were many places around this country where you could have a regular run-of-the-mill factory factory job and as a man be able to take care of your wife and children. Those jobs aren't in as much of an existence anymore you do have to get an education for a lot of jobs, but it is possible. It is very possible if we live within our means. So I just want to stress that. So she goes on in the book and she says, she's talking specifically about this this issue, this work-life balance issue. And so throughout the book, I'm just at the beginning, but she talks about half-truths. So, the half-truth that men can't have it all either. The half-truth that um, you can have it all if you sequence it right, etc. So, now she's going on to half-truth children need their mothers. So, I'm just going to read an excerpt from this. Okay, so she begins... I spend a lot of time being driven back and forth to the train station to catch Amtrak to Washington or New Jersey Transit to New York. One of my favorite local taxi drivers, whom I'll call Steve, is a fountain of stories and folk wisdom. He's a little older than I am with three grown kids and a couple of grandkids. He's devoted both to his wife and to the memory of his own mother. 
He has very fixed ideas on what men and women are good at and not so good at. And he tells me regularly with the confidence born both of conviction and life experience, children need their mothers. What he means is that mothers give something special, something children cannot live without, something that fathers cannot supply. He means that mothering is distinct and different from fathering, that children cannot thrive without their mother's care. He means it as a compliment to mothers, that they provide a special and irreplaceable mother love. But I hear it as a statement of the natural order of things, a mantra that ends any discussion of genuinely equal parenting. Of course, children do need their mothers and their fathers and their grandparents, siblings, aunts, uncles, cousins, and close family friends who will follow them on Facebook and look out for them during the years when parental advice or even conversation suddenly becomes unendurable. Children need their mothers, is true. But children need their mothers more than they need other loving adults in their life is false. The one time children genuinely cannot live without their biolog- live without their biological mothers is during pregnancy. Even surrogate and adopted babies need someone to gestate them. Particularly in the U.S., we don't always recognize this. Along with Liberia and Papua New Guinea, we are of the few countries that does not offer paid maternity leave. The unpaid leave we do offer only covers women who work for companies that have 50 or more employees and have been at those companies for more than a year. So she goes more on to the business stuff. But I found it fascinating the way that she so easily dismissed the idea that women, excuse me, that children need their mothers and that mothers have something distinct to offer. Because I think it's a very new idea and it's one that naturally comes out of anyone who believes that gay parenting is just as good, completely fine, can offer just as good of an outcome as parenting by two heterosexual, biologically attached um parents of the child. This is not an idea that always existed, but of course, if you are going to fight for gay rights, then of course you cannot believe that women, or men for that matter, offer anything distinct to one another in a relationship, because if you say that they are distinct, then you can also make an argument that that is why gay couples should not be offered marriage because marriage is distinctly about a man and a woman. And you also cannot cannot argue that biological parents are better parents for their children than a gay couple, for example, because then that would again be going against the argument that gays are equal to heterosexuals. And obviously, we're not talking about equal in the human sense. I'm talking about equal when it comes to relationships, romantic relationships, and when it comes to raising children. And to show you how new this idea is and how different it is from the past, I'm going to read an excerpt from The Art of Loving by Eric Fromm. So Eric Fromm was a famous psychologist. He's one of those 
people you learn about if you ever take a psychology 101 class he'll be one of those few people you learn about that were he wasn't a founder of psychology because the main founder of psychology would be considered Freud but he was one of those head figures that really had distinct theories that are worth learning every time you're just being introduced to psychology so he wrote this book the art of loving it's about 50 years old and uh let's see if i can find the exact date yeah it was published in 1956 the first time so let's let's hear what eric Fromm has to say about mothers and fathers he says in order to understand the shift from mother to father we must consider the essential differences in quality between motherly and fatherly love we have already spoken about motherly love Motherly love is by its very nature unconditional. Mother loves the newborn infant because it is her child, not because the child has fulfilled any specific condition or lived up to any specific expectation. Of course, when I speak here of mother and father's love, I speak of the ideal types in Max Weber's sense or of an archetype in Jung's sense. And do not imply that every mother and father loves in that way. I refer to the motherly and fatherly principle, which is represented in the motherly and fatherly person. Unconditional love corresponds to one of the deepest longings, not only of the child, but of every human being. On the other hand, to be loved because of one's merits, because one deserves it, always leaves doubt. Maybe I did not please the person whom I want to love, maybe this or that. This is always a fear that could disappear. Excuse me, this is always a fear of love that can disappear. Furthermore, deserved love easily leaves a bitter feeling that one is not loved for oneself and one is loved only because one pleases. That one is the last analysis is in the last analysis not loved at all but used no wonder we all cling to the longing for motherly love as children and also as adults most children are lucky enough to receive motherly love as adults the same longing is much more difficult to fulfill i'm just going to skip ahead a little bit the relationship to the father is quite different mother is the home we come from she is nature soil the ocean father does not represent any such natural home he has little connection with the child in the first years of life and his importance for the child in this early period cannot be compared with that of the mother but while father does not represent the natural world he represents the other pole of human existence the world of thought of man-made things of law and order of discipline of travel and adventure father is the one who teaches the child who shows him the road into the world and he he goes on talking about the differences between motherly love and fatherly love. And I definitely would recommend this book to anyone. It's a small book, but it is just jam-packed with sort of a philosophical analysis of love, of loving, of is love a choice? Is love something that's automatic? The The, the way in which motherly love and fatherly love play its part in our life and in the world and so it's a very interesting book but I read it to show that 
the idea that mothers and fathers are interchangeable is a very distinct and new idea of our time. <clears throat> and again, just like I was saying with being able to honestly look at the things that we lose as women when we choose to go into the workforce and being able to make that sacrifice if we want to, but to always realize it's either a sacrifice at work or a sacrifice at home and to just go in with both eyes open is really the same approach that we should have with a lot of things because in our obviously I don't know how old you are the uh, the listener um but a lot of us who are younger unfortunately in general in our American society we have very short-sighted history and so we all latch to the newest idea the newest thing and we think this must be right and we don't even bother to look at the knowledge of our past so that we can compare different types of knowledge, different types of ideas and philosophies and actually get to learn, well, what do I think? What do I believe? I'll give a a quick example and then go back to this idea of motherhood and fatherhood. I was looking up, I saw this great video on because I'm always looking for like weight loss inspiration since I'm trying to lose weight right now. And I was looking at this video, it was about a ballerina and just counting calories, how she plans her meals, that sort of thing. And for me, I found that counting calories has been the most successful way that I've ever lost weight, more than trying to cut any particular food out of my diet. By counting calories, it's really the easiest way I've found to lose weight. But, and so, you know, I watched it, I thought it was great, you know, great inspiration reminder to keep going. And I was just looking at the comments under the video and everyone, no, I'm sorry, not looking at the comments. I wanted to find more videos about calorie counting. And every video that I found except that one was negative, was anti-counting calorie, don't count calories. And why? Because that's the new thing. Before everyone was saying count calories is the easiest way to lose weight. Then everyone decided they wanted to backlash, don't count calories, it's bad, just do this. And so it's fascinating because it's so easy for people to just jump on the bandwagon. There's a new thought, new philosophy, let's just jump on, that's what we're all going to do. We're not even going to explore if that thing might be good or not, we're just going to jump on the bandwagon with everyone else. And so we have to be careful in every facet of our thinking life that we are giving ourselves as much information as possible on any given topic and really choosing what we believe and not just what is the popular thought. So in that passage, he talks about the difference between motherly love and fatherly love and basically saying that motherly love is unconditional, partly because the child is seen as an extension of the mother herself and that fatherly love is conditional. It's a type of love that one must earn. So while I think that things do change, um, I definitely think fathers are more involved in our times and even culturally, different cultures are different. Fathers are more or less involved in different cultures. Nevertheless, I do think that um there is that our bio that our biology 
our physicality and the way we choose to socialize and develop cultures are all connected. I don't think that, as a lot of liberal people seem to say these days, I don't think that gender is purely made up. I think that as human beings, we saw each other's physical bodies and saw the way we, the way our bodies operated differently, and that made us act differently with those bodies, which then in turn made us have a bunch of social rules because of our bodies and the way our bodies allowed us to act. And of course, some of those social rules are arbitrary. Pink for girls and blue for boys. That's completely arbitrary. But nevertheless, it does provide a distinction. It is still a reflection of that biology because it's giving it's giving distinction. It's giving a, a very simple distinction. Blue for boys, pink for girls, just to uphold that distinction that men and women naturally have so I think that it would be strange and foolish to assume that a woman could carry a child in her womb for nine months that she can choose to breastfeed or not breastfeed the child many women do choose to breastfeed but even if she simply just sees that physical change happening in her body and knows that obviously that it's connected to the baby for the mother to just simply like as soon as that biological experience ends the emotional experience ends I just don't see why anyone would assume that now I think it's fine to do the research we should have lots of research on it and there actually has been lots of research on mother and child attachment And then the problem is that a lot of people just say, well, or a lot of, I should say, feminists or liberals will say, well, that is just culture. That's just the culture. So it has nothing to do with biology. That's just the culture. But I think that biology and culture are deeply connected. I've never learned of, I've never heard of any anthropologists learning of. And if they did, I'm sure they'd tell us. A society where they did not recognize distinctions between men and women whatsoever. Now, many societies, many women do the same work, including our society. Um, but to not recognize any distinction at all, I've never, I've never heard of that. Never heard of it. And I'm sure that if it existed. It would be all over the place because that's just the kind of evidence that anthropologists um, would love and, and people on the left would love to show us that, see, you know, gender is created. Look at these people living in this place and they have no distinctions. But I've never heard of it. And I think that when you see that things are different, you treat them differently. Now, again, these rules can sometimes be hurtful and arbitrary but they are created out of this distinction that we see between men and women and then deciding what we think we're going to do about it. And so for me, I think there must be a relationship hierarchy that mothers have with their children because of this beginning biology. Now, when you get older, that can change. Like we have the term daddy's girl or daddy's boy, I suppose. It can change, of course, 
But those early years are extremely important in any person's life. In fact, in the early days of psychology, much, much research was done on the mother-child relationship and how that was associated with an adult's personality. But now we've just sort of lost that science because of the fact that people don't think that the genders are distinctly different. And so it's it's interesting because it can hurt us as women in the sense of we lose our specialness, our distinctness, but at the same time, maybe a lot of women don't care. Maybe a lot of women think it's good if we are seen as more equal. And so I can understand both sides of it. But when I hear something like what The Art of Loving is saying, Eric Crumb's book versus what's being said in Unfinished Business, I can more so relate to it because anyone who's seen a mother and their child together, it's a distinct kind of relationship. And you see that fathers often get more involved as the child grows up because in Allahu Alam, but what I observe is I feel as though a lot of men are afraid of the fragility that very young children have, like babies. But when they get older, when they can play around with them, when they can rough around, which is distinct to men with their children, then that relationship can really begin to grow. But before that, when the baby is this very gentle being, very fragile being, it seems harder for men to make that distinction. But, you know, God knows best. So I'd love to know what you think. Do you think that men and women have distinct roles as Eric Fromm has stated in his book? Or do you think that children don't particularly need their mother or father distinctly um, and that they just need loving adults? I would love to know your opinion. You can leave your comment below wherever this audio video will be. And uh, inshallah, I hope you'll also take a read. These books are excellent books. I'm still reading Unfinished Business, but they're really good books. You know, you always have to keep reading to expand your mind. And um, yeah, that's about it. Thank you for listening. Take care.